Our next sponsor for this episode is one of our favorite companies and longtime acquired partner, Pilot.com. For startups and growth companies of all kinds, Pilot is the one team for all of your company's accounting, tax, and bookkeeping needs, and in fact, now is the largest startup-focused accounting firm in the U.S. Which is wild, because when we started working with them way back when, they were just a startup themselves, and now they're a billion-dollar-plus company backed by Sequoia, Index, Stripe, and even Jeff Bezos himself. Yep. And speaking of Bezos, we talk all the time on Acquired of Jeff's AWS-inspired axiom that startups should focus on what makes their beer taste better. In other words, only spend your limited time and resources on what's actually going to move the needle for your product and customers and outsource everything else that you do as a company that doesn't fit that bill. And accounting is like example number one of what he's talking about. Every company needs it. It needs to be done by a professional. You don't want to take any risk of anything going wrong. But at the same time, it has zero impact on your product or customers, things you do uniquely well. Yep. So enter Pilot. Pilot both sets up and operates your company's entire financial stack. So finance, accounting, tax, even CFO services like investor reporting. From your general ledger all the way up to budgeting and financial sections of board decks, Pilot takes care of all that. And they've been doing this now for years across thousands of startups in Silicon Valley and beyond. And there's nobody better who you can trust to both get your finance right and make it easy and painless for you and your company. Yep. And when you say thousands of companies Pilot does this for, David, these are now companies like OpenAI, Airtable, and Scale, as well as e-commerce and other companies. So it's not just that they have experience across startups, they can keep working with you as you scale to the growth phase and beyond. So if your company or a company that you start in the future wants to go back to focusing on what makes your beer taste better, go to pilot.com slash acquired or click the link in the show notes and tell them that Ben and David sent you. And thanks to our friends, the Pilot co-founders, all acquired listeners, if you use that link, you will get 20% off your first six months of service. Thanks, Pilot. Who got the truth? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Who got the truth now? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Sit me down. Say it straight. Another story on the way. Who got the truth? Welcome to the first episode of Acquired. I'm Ben Gilbert. I'm David Rosenthal. And we're your hosts. We've uh, we've recorded a pilot before this, but I'm not sure I'm comfortable letting that see the light of day. Um, so this is our, our, our first real episode for the world to hear. Um, we're going to start with a little background on ourselves. We'll talk about what the point of this podcast is, and then we'll get into the uh, nuts and bolts of the first episode. Um, so I guess I'll start. Uh, I'm Ben. I'm the co-founder of Pioneer Square Labs here in Seattle, where we come up with companies and uh, start them, prototype them, see if they work, and spin them out. I'm David. Uh, I'm a principal here at Madrona Venture Group. We're an early stage venture capital firm in Seattle. We invest in technology startups that uh, hopefully one day go on to be an acquirer or be an acquiree. Yeah. So it's funny. This this is um, this is podcast was uh, something David and I were were thinking up while um, we were out drinking, and as all good podcasts start, <laughs> and it, we kind of came to the conclusion of like, all right, let's try and make a list of companies that have been acquired where it was actually beneficial for the acquirer, and I, I think that there's. Um, so many examples of, of the opposite of like, boy, that was a huge write down. That was embarrassing. Or, uh, my God, that was an interesting valuation for someone that had no revenue. We'll see if it ever pans out. 
And I think that um, it's it's worth going back and highlighting really interesting tech companies that um, were acquired and ended up being kind of a one plus one equals three situation where um, it was it was actually a good investment in the future. Agree. And uh, also interesting, perhaps what could companies operating either as startups or independently take from why or why not those companies worked with that. Should we hop into our first episode? I think we should. So the company that we have chosen as the, uh, the acquiree is Pixar and the company that, that obviously acquired Pixar was Disney in 2006. And this isn't a typical, um, you know, straight obvious technology acquisition. There's, there's a lot more to this, uh, the, the storytelling aspect and the entertainment media production. It's really, really not a, a straight tech company when you look at it. Um, and uh, I think that's kind of what's going to make this um, a really interesting first episode. Totally. And uh, Ben and I were chatting about this before we started recording. Um, all of that is true. And yet, I think you could view Pixar as like the first example of software eating the world. So we'll get more <laughs> into it. Um, so we're going to break this, uh, this episode and potentially all future episodes into a couple sections. So first, we're going to talk about the acquisition history and the facts. Uh, then Ben and I are each going to put, uh, the acquisition into a category. Uh, what do we think was kind of the, the key piece of it and why, uh, the, the rationale behind why the acquiring company purchased the, uh, this, this acquisition target. Um, then we're going to talk about what might've happened had history been different. What if this acquisition hadn't gone through? And finally, we're going to assign each acquisition a grade. So let's start with the history and the facts. So, January 2006, Pixar is a publicly traded company. Disney announces that they are acquiring it for $7.4 billion, estimated roughly 45 times uh, estimated Pixar earnings for that year. Um, And uh, uh, Disney and obviously Pixar changed forever since. And, and famously, that is the day that Steve Jobs became the largest single shareholder of um, of Disney stock, which yep. Lorene Powell Jobs still uh, still holds as part of the estate. Led to a long uh, relationship between Disney content and Apple technology products. Yeah, super um, interesting. That's probably outside the bounds of this this episode. But one thing when we were planning for this episode, we didn't even think about is kind of ancillary benefits there of cooperation between Apple and Disney and. Um, revenue created for both companies totally and uh so as we were we were researching kind of the background and 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 history here one one stat that 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 jumped out to me that i thought was just so cool especially since we're focusing on technology acquisitions in this podcast um pixar uh ipo'd in 1995 you know what else ipo'd in 1995 netscape which do you (laughs) think was the bigger ipo well, you're, you're positing the question, so I'm going to go Netscape. You would be wrong. Really? Pixar was the largest IPO of 1995, bigger than Netscape. Wow. That's not one that the history books often refer to. And uh, I think if I'm getting, if my memory's right, also ended up being the larger acquisition than Netscape. Pixar being $7.4 billion, and I think Netscape was... I could be wrong here, but around three billion ish. Is that to AOL? I think so. Hmm. I, in the future, when there's actually people that listen to this podcast, we could totally have a chat room, and they could be correcting us in real time. This could be great. But um, since David and I are both holding microphones, and I haven't ordered stands yet, 
we'll we'll leave the googling to our fair readers. Um, but I thought that was just totally cool, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. here's this technology company being bought by a media company, much like um, much like Netscape was bought by AOL, uh, which was then merged with Time Warner, um, and uh, and 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 here is this technology company that ends up being both the largest IPO in this banner year and one of the most important acquisitions uh, of all time. Um, so, uh, after the acquisition in 2006, uh, Disney, uh, and Pixar, er, Disney Pixar, as it was rebranded, has, uh, since then released several films. Um, I believe, uh, let's see, the list is Cars later in 2006, Ratatouille, Wally up Toy Story 3 Cars 2 Brave <laughs> Monsters University and Inside Out um, just going on box office stats alone so if you take worldwide box office for those films and subtract out production budgets for those films now that's not the total story on profits you know of course there is uh, both on the revenue side additional revenue from merchandise from DVD sales from streaming and especially as part of Disney theme parks, theme parks. Um, and then there's additional costs both in, in the, the cogs for those items, but also in uh, marketing costs, uh, both for the film and otherwise, but just going with the numbers that we have, um, publicly available, uh, those films since the acquisition have made just about seven and a half billion dollars in revenue, uh, and about four and a half billion dollars of profit. So 10 years later, here we are, four and a half billion dollars of profit, uh, based on a seven point four billion dollar acquisition price. It's kind of interesting. I mean, there's a tons and tons of other ancillary benefits aside, but um, you know, we could have a fifteen. They're, 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 the pace of their profits per film is accelerating, so we could have a fifteen year payback period on the uh, on the acquisition. And I think, um, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get into this a little bit more, but. I, just kind of looking at the spot that Disney was in, the spot that Pixar was in, if you could go to, uh, you know, Disney exec at the time and say, you know, it's, it's going to be 15 years before you really start seeing, um, you know, profits on top of this acquisition. But look at, look at what Disney has been historically, the powerhouse of incredible animation and sort of that, the source of magic for children and adults alike. And, kind of what happened to that since Toy Story 1. I mean, Toy, uh, Pixar had the monopoly on magic and, and for creating the most successful, incredible films in, in animation. And I think that, you know, is, is Disney sort of reacquiring its roots? And, mm-hmm. and to me, um, you know, that, that the 15-year price tag for that isn't, isn't too bad. Totally. And, uh, and I think this, would be, you know, this is a great segue into the next section of our episode, which is... Um, you know, how would you categorize this acquisition? You know, and, and some of the categories that we'd identified are, is this about people? Is this about technology? Is this a product that the acquirer is buying, a business line, or is it something else? Yeah. It's funny. It, well, there's certainly a people element, but it's not like they were repurposing these people on something. I think in a people acquisition, you typically talk about, you know, they wanted the really smart people to go to work on existing products with existing customers. That's certainly not the case. Um, except with one and one specific person we can call out and probably other people we don't know about in the organization. Um, technology, there's something there, but you know, Pixar, Pixar 
started by it being a pure technology company and not having any any um, animated films out there. They were just producing uh, the Pixar computer with RenderMan software on it, so the ability for for Lucasfilm and then for for others to um, do 3D animation. And that's and, and, and I think this is you know before we render judgment on what category we'd put this acquisition into. I think that's a really important point that it's worth discussing. Like Pixar is a technology company. Um, and, you know, it was created as a division within Lucasfilm. There's a long history, even going back prior to Lucasfilm, but, but it really came together as an organization there to solve problems, you know, within Lucasfilm and be a technology enabler, uh, for George Lucas. And, What's interesting is that like a lot of technology companies, it was then spun out uh, by Steve Jobs uh, and sold by, by Lucasfilm to Steve Jobs. Um, and uh, like a lot of technology companies, it started really small with what it could do with computer animation. It made short films. It was trying to push its technology to other film companies. Totally. And, uh, and I mean, even before they were making short films, they were, they were purely that, that RenderMan software on totally. the Pixar animation computer. And the it, to your to your point in starting small, like the ability for hardware to do this sort of thing at the time. If, if you're if you go back and watch the Luxo Junior or the Rotating yep. Hand, any of the really old Pixar animation stuff, it's so limited. And you can totally see even Toy Story. Oh yeah, incredibly I mean, there's no limited. faces in Toy Story. There's no human faces because it was too sophisticated at the time. And People they just talk punted. about big technology companies starting as toys. I mean, literally, <laughs> Pixar didn't start with Toy Story, but their first big hit was toys yeah yeah i mean the, the the thing we're actually talking about is is there um before the episode is is this just classic low-end disruption at play i mean they're they're um the kind of famous story about uh john lassiter is that he came to pixar um and to ed catmull was sort of this this love for for creating animation and and not the technology of it but the art of what kind of storytelling you could do with it and I think I wrote this down. He was actually hired. Uh, Ed Catmull believed in him, but he wasn't allowed to hire animators. He was hired with the, the title of interface designer. And no one questioned Catmull's decision. But what John was doing was kind of on the side, exploring the possibility of doing real storytelling in this incredibly limited medium. Totally. And 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 um, I think also, if I'm getting my history right, Lasseter started his career at Disney. and yeah. was an incredibly yep. passionate Disney employee. It's all he ever wanted to do was be an animator there. And he was fired because he was espousing this new technology, this, this computer animation, uh, which people didn't believe would be capable of being part of the Disney way. It's so interesting to think about, you know, th- thinking about what we look at today uh, that we laugh off as like, well, that'll never be good enough. That that tech isn't, I mean, that's that's laughable. How could you ever take that rotating hand and rival the power of Beauty and the Beast with that? You know, actually, Beauty and the Beast, I don't think it was out yet, but, you know, Snow White or anything like that. Yep. And and you can totally see how how it just gets incrementally better. It gets better every time. And it's one of those things where you have to check yourself when you're thinking, well, that can't possibly be the future. Like, look at VR today. The screen door yeah. effect, the lag, the price tag, like everything about it, you're like, that is impossible. There's no way that ever reaches mass market. And then, like, you know... Uh, some of these things die on the vine, but really, if if um, if you're gonna win at some of these things, you get in early, and it's a matter of time, and you you grow with the medium and with the technology. And 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 I think the other point, as I was thinking about this, and and Pixar as a technology company, is even with the short films, but especially with Toy Story, they embrace the limitations of the medium, 
and yet delivered a full solution within it. You know, they didn't skimp on emotional connections within their movies, uh, even when the technology was arguably inferior to both live action and traditional animation. Um, they were able to, to deliver incredible emotional experiences. Um, and, I, and I think those are just hallmarks of all technology companies that are operating in new spaces and at the bleeding edge. It, it's, it's cool to think about the things that they intentionally did because they would fit well into that medium. I mean, you look at it at Toy Story or Luxo Jr. I mean, these things were basic shapes, a ball where you could easily map a, uh, a pattern onto it that's rolling and the lamp jumps on it. It's, it's because it's so easy to render a sphere. And it's in, you look at Brave. I mean, it took them 25, 30 years to do something like Brave where they had to do this fierce, incredible hair or cars where they had, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of vehicles flying around in the background and all this crazy stuff. They just, they knew that, or maybe John knew, that the, the team that was there early knew that the important thing was really communicating that story and picking whatever kind of visual representation they needed to fit the medium to still deliver that complete solution, as you put it. Yep. Um, so that would argue that uh, the technology clearly a critical part of Pixar. Um, critical, but, um, you know, that Pixar was kicking the crap out of DreamWorks. I think that the um, computer animation hadn't become commoditized per se, but they weren't the only ones with it. Yep. Um, so in terms of categorizing this acquisition, so I, I think, you know, for me, as I was thinking about this, I would actually put characterize Pixar best as a business line acquisition for Disney. And the reason I say that is twofold. One, um, it's interesting what Disney did with Pixar and, and looking at, at that almost as a blueprint with things like what Facebook's done with Instagram and with WhatsApp and with Oculus, they kept it completely separate. And, and this was, for the most part, driven by, driven by the Pixar side of the house um, but the studios are in separate locations. Disney Animation is in Southern California. Pixar is in Northern California in the Bay Area. Um, the teams are completely separate. There is no cross-pollination on products, uh, on projects. With, with the exception with of the leadership. With the exception of the leadership, <laughs> yes, uh, which we can get to in a second. Um, but really, Pixar has remained its own brand and uh, and its own business line, quote-unquote, today. So that's that's reason one. Reason number two is, uh, I was, as I was reading about the acquisition, there's this great story I read um, that supposedly is true that uh, Bob Iger, uh, the CEO of Disney, realized, the new CEO of Disney when he acquired, uh, when the company acquired Pixar, realized that he needed to buy Pixar, with which they had a film distribution deal in the past, when um, he was looking at a parade at a Disney theme park and all the characters in the parade and he realized that the characters that were developed in the past 10 years, none of them were Disney characters. All or almost all of them were Pixar characters. And that's when he realized Pixar needs to be an official, whole, wholly owned part of Disney. Yeah. It is, it is interesting to think about the, the thing that made Pixar special is this really incredible studio thing that they had going that no one else had in, in, in the ability to produce movies. And it wasn't, you know, when they talk about the big studios, there's hits and misses. There's, there's big blockbuster hits that they put lots and lots of money into, and they just miss. And the things that, that Pixar has put out, you know, with the exception of Cars 2, which is not necessarily critically acclaimed, like 
every single one is a box office hit. Yeah. And nothing Pixar does sees the light of day unless it's wonderful. I mean, it, there's this emotional connection for kids and adults alike. And it, it's something where, you know, it, they, they have this really intense internal process where I think three or four directors over the course of their history have been fired in the middle of projects. They have this really incredible review of, of um, you know, the, the kind of Pixar brain trust sitting around reviewing uh, milestones and watching early early screenings they have uh talent development where if there's a young promising director coming up they they do a short first and they kind of prove themselves in the the mm-hmm. um super signature uh shorts that pixar does and it's it's this process where you know when you think that i think it's i don't know if it's christensen or there's there's a very business school theory of of um the fact that the, the what a business really is is people processes and um priorities and that was very, very clear at Pixar. And I think that um, the processes and the priorities had, had just as much to do with the, the acquisition as the people did in this, this case. Absolutely. And then John Lasseter and Ed Catmull, uh, the, the uh, principals at, at Pixar, aside from Steve Jobs, went on to assume control of all of animation within Disney. Um, yeah, and you look at, I mean, the, what, what, <laughs> what Disney elite needed to learn to do was not ship crap i mean truly like only put out really wonderful films and you know they're not to a pixar level yet you, when things have pixar's name on it it's, it's a it's a different level of quality but yep. you know frozen wasn't pixar that was disney i mean that that was disney learning from laster pixar the, yep. the 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 process that they had there and and what you know computer animated joy looked like and uh how uh, we, we we won't name names here. Uh, well, I'm not even going to go to being in Seattle, but uh, um, how much does that sound like technology companies, right? Don't ship crap. Yeah. And, where, and when technology companies go wrong, let's use Apple as, you know, a uh, non-controversial example. There were a number of years in the in the wilderness when when Apple was shipping crap. Yeah. Um yeah, well, I'm sure we'll have many more episodes about Apple, but um, obviously the the Steve Jobs uh, thread runs deep in both of these companies. Yep. Um, so Ben, category for you? Oh, it's a business line. I mean, it's it's processes, but it's it's a business line. They're, um, you know, this is this is not something that they're kind of like co-marketing to the same. Um, customer segment. This is not a thing where they're having the Pixar people at large work on Disney products. Um, this is something where they have incredible respect for the existing Pixar business and they're keeping it separate. This is a great time to tell you about one of our very favorite companies, Crusoe. So Crusoe, as listeners know by now, is a clean compute cloud provider specifically built for AI workloads. NVIDIA is one of their major partners, and literally Crusoe's data centers are nothing but racks and racks of A100s and H100s. And because Crusoe's cloud is purpose-built for AI and run on wasted, stranded, or clean energy, they can provide significantly better performance per dollar than traditional cloud providers. Yes, we talked about that on our ACQ2 episode with Crusoe CEO Chase Lockmiller. The other element that makes Crusoe special is the environmental angle. Crusoe, of course, locates their data centers at stranded energy sites. So think oil flares, wind farms that can't use all the energy they generate, etc., and uses that power that would otherwise be wasted to run your AI workloads instead. Yep. 
Obviously, it's a huge benefit for the environment and for customers on costs since Crusoe doesn't rely on the energy grid. Energy is the second largest cost of running AI after, of course, the price you pay NVIDIA for the chips. And these lower energy costs get passed on to customers. It's super cool that they can put their data centers out there in these remote locations where, quote unquote, energy happens, as opposed to the other hyperscalers such as AWS and Google and Azure, who need to build their data centers close to major traffic hubs where the Internet happens because they are doing everything in their clouds. Yep. If you, your company or your portfolio companies would like to use the lower cost and more performant infrastructure for your AI workloads, Go to crusocloud.com slash acquired, that's C-R-U-S-O-E cloud.com slash acquired, or click the link in the show notes. All right, let's move on to, um, I, th- I think, a very interesting segment of our show, which is what would have happened otherwise? Let's say Disney didn't buy Pixar. Where would we be standing today? Or where would they be standing today? Well, We'd I probably would... still be right here in Seattle. <laughs> I wouldn't be worried about Pixar. Um, but I, I would be worried about Disney. I think that, uh, you know, Pixar probably wouldn't have grown like it, it has having, um, distribution into Disney's theme parks and, um, a a much more significant marketing budget behind it. But, um, you know, they, they had a, they had a passionate, passionate following and that wasn't, there was no small following. They were grossing over a hundred million dollars each film. Um, well over a hundred million. Yeah, actually, I think I think we three, just looked it up. Three four hundred million dollars. And uh, Inside profit. Out, most recent yeah. was was uh, well, wait, was, profit or, or gross? It, Inside Out um, had had revenues at I think eight eight hundred thousand eight hundred million. Yeah, so Inside Out, which is I believe still in theaters, I did, uh, some theaters. Yeah. I tried to watch it this weekend on my Apple TV and I couldn't, so it's not on streaming. It's oh, in that yet. weird. That is a weird period. So there's like this this time where no one's allowed to watch it on anything. You know, total aside here, X number of years from now with X being like well less than 10. <laughs> We're going to laugh at that. That is going to be <laughs> ridiculous. Like I was talking with my wife about this the other day and I was like, you know, when we, we don't have kids yet, but someday hopefully we'll have kids and, you know, they'll become culturally aware at some point, hopefully. And, um, you know, one day we're going to, Jenny and I are going to be talking about television and our kids are going to look at us and say, what's television? Yeah. Total aside there. Wild. Um, so Inside Out, uh, which is still not, you know, run its course, has uh, grossed in worldwide box office over $800 million, had a $175 million production budget, so over $600 million in profit. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so there, there's there's Disney magic there that yep. Um, you know, we we can't say that's all Pixar, but re- really, I think I think Disney was a little bit lost. Um, had a new CEO who had a, a clear vision, um, and I think that um, ah, I'd be a lot more worried about Disney than yep. Pixar. So what I I'd say about this, um, I two things. I think on the Pixar side, this really is a good example of. Um, you know, the actually working in practice, the rationale that a lot of uh, leadership teams of acquired companies will say, which often sounds hollow, which is that going with the acquirer will give you the scale to have an impact at the level much faster and much bigger at a level that you couldn't do standalone. 
That's in so many blog posts. Totally, right? <laughs> um, but here, I think it's really worked. You know, I mean, Cars Land. Cars, I don't know if, if Ben, if you've been Have to been. Disneyland recently. I, I've been twice, I think, in the past couple of years. All you guys out there, if you haven't been to Cars Land at Disneyland in LA, you got to go. It's amazing. I'm booking tickets. And and Disney spent a billion dollars, over a billion dollars, creating Cars Land. None of that would have happened if Pixar weren't part of Disney. So that's that's that side. And then I think on the Disney side, what's super interesting is that this kicked off really not just a transformation of Disney animation, but a whole transformation of how they thought about their IP and their their entire film business. So since Pixar in 2006, they then acquired Marvel in 2009. Uh, and you only need look at, you know, the Avengers and Iron Man and Thor and uh, Captain America and all those movies and, and uh, uh, arguably uh, um, you know, superhero fad that we've been in recently, but they've made a ton of money from that. Uh, but then Lucasfilm um, a couple of years ago. And uh, I don't know about you, Ben, but I this am December. quite excited about this December. Did you buy your tickets yet? I've not bought my tickets yet. <laughs> I, you know, it's interesting. They, they really have put together a playbook for how to take a hugely successful franchise with a big following and, and people that grew up on something and just has a special place in people's hearts and really just turn it into a machine. I mean, you look at the amount of Star Wars. I mean, there, there's obviously 7, 8, and 9, but there's, there's other films that are coming out. There's new video. I mean, they've totally reinvigorated the franchise and taken the love of that fan base and turned it into something that, you know, is, is um, like something. It's a, a uniquely Disney asset is their ability to amplify a franchise. Yeah. And, and what they've done with both Marvel and Star Wars, I think that, that um, Disney learned a lot from buying Pixar. And not. Well, I don't know how uh, not safe for work we want to make these podcasts, but not- I, I think I think we can't swear, otherwise we will get the iTunes explicit tag. Ah, uh, okay. That- well, not you know f bombing up the the creative process in in you know in the process of doing this, and I think that's that's something. Would that have happened without Pixar? Right, like you know. Marvel fans, I'm sure there are plenty out there who would argue that it's you know become too commercial and it's lost the you know whatever. But but that would be a small minority. I mean, the 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 Marvel comic book franchises now and movies are at such a better point. I I would argue than they were before the acquisition, and we'll see what happens with Star Wars this December. Um, but like, what if Dick's? What if what if what if Disney hadn't acquired Pixar? Hadn't gone through that experience? Would they be equipped to digest Marvel and Lucasfilm in the same ways? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that that's a... Yeah, it's not an asset that Pixar had, but Disney trains institutional muscle in learning how to do that successfully. And that's... Um, I mean, that that's how you get these sort of one plus one equals three things, where it wasn't an asset that either company had, but the process of the acquisition itself forced them to get good at a thing that would determine their future success. All right. I feel like it's time we should wrap up. Overall grade, we're going with A through F here. Disney, Pixar, what's your verdict? Well, David, we had our choice of picking any single acquisition in history of, of in the history of technology to do this. So, um, you know, I'm like looking for reasons not to give it an A, but there's kind of a reason we picked it for our first episode. So, um, 
Thank you for the softball. I'm going to go with A. I'm going to disagree a little bit. Uh-oh. So, and I think this illustrates just how hard M&A is um, overall. You know, it's been 10 years since Disney acquired Pixar. Of course, for all those reasons that we were just talking about, incredibly successful, has transformed Disney in many ways. Um, no brainer that this was a great acquisition by Disney. On the other hand, you look at this financially, they spent $7.5 billion for it. Now, they've probably, when you account for everything, which only the internal teams in Disney can, and even then probably not fully, they've probably made that back, but it's been 10 years. So financially, you know, and I I contrast that with in 2006, um, Facebook was two years old at that point. And now... What's Facebook market cap? I don't know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So every acquisition is unsuccessful because it does not match the growth of one of the greatest technology companies of all time? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's track the public markets as a... As a I mean, like, I'm l- self-justifying myself here why, I, uh, why I'm more excited about being a venture investor <laughs> than I am about being, uh, working for M&A teams in public companies. Nothing wrong with working at M&A teams in public companies. So I, I guess where I'm going is um, I would hope that to get an A, this would have to be something would have to be just such a grand slam on all levels that everybody can retire and be career making. And what's interesting is that even this, which is we picked it as the first, the first acquisition of our show, you know, this, it's hard to get much better than this on all levels. And yet it's not totally clear that this has just turned into an incredible, you know, cash flow decision. Um, as opposed to a, you know, investment in Facebook in 2006. You give it a grade, and then I'll make a point. <laughs> I'm going to give it a B plus. Oh, maybe A minus. We have we have pluses and minuses, guys. B plus <laughs> slash A minus. Um, the thing that I think you're not taking into account, and you know, I'll I'll acknowledge my own bias here of being just absolutely enamored with Pixar, Toy Story, defining my childhood. I mean, that was my AOL screen name was BJ Lightyear. <laughs> my going deep here. Yeah, Pixar has a very very deep place in my heart. Um, th- all that said, I think the thing that that is not factored into the financial decision is, and and actually we 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 don't really ever know what it would look like otherwise. But the long term success and health of Disney. I mean, what would that look like without Pixar? Uh, if, what what does Disney look like twenty years from now without Pixar? Well, and here's a question, which we answered in the what would have happened otherwise. But um, is there a Pixar land? If yeah. there's not Disney Pixar. Get Cat Mall on the phone. <laughs> All right. With that, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Have a good night, guys. Who got the truth? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Who got the truth now? Huh?